0: this is sort of an impromptu session because yesterday we did, as as Pastor Jeff said, we did cover preaching and visitation and secrets of successful evangelists which is what this second class was to be a repeat of and maybe we'll do some depending on how many questions you have but there seemed to be a demand to just to open the floor and for all of you who who love evangelism to ask any question you want on any topic I thought that would be interesting because we don't have any other session here at GYC like that where we can just say, "Hey, uh, I, I'm, I need to know about advertising, or I need to know what what to do here." If, kind of like an evangelism A to Z class. If, if you if you have a question, if you want to know, uh, we can even go back to visitation and preaching if you want. But just let's just open the floor. And I've been my ministry has been with Amazing Facts for uh, just about 18 years. This last year, I left Amazing Facts, and I've been on my own. But Nevertheless, it's been in public evangelism is what I've done. And I've done evangelistic meetings in just about every kind of venue. I've done tents and hotels and motels and storefronts and conference centers and, of course, churches of all different kinds and sizes. Uh, I've had meetings in multiple church meetings and little tiny church meetings, everything I can think of, and I'm wondering if maybe you have some thoughts and questions on just what you would like to uh, ask about.
1: Society in 2010, uh, what's the duration of
0: meetings? Okay, great question. What's the duration of meetings? When we started 20 years ago, the church members would say to me, how can you possibly baptize people in four weeks? That's such a short period of time, you know, to take them through four weeks and get them to know our doctrines and our understanding and then baptize people. Are you sure you're making 7th Avenue?s and we tried to justify the fact that yes, we did had enough knowledge to to be able to baptize them. Now, 20 years later, it's the opposite. They're saying, "Wow, four weeks—that's such a long time. How can you expect us to come out for four long weeks? Boy, that's—we were so busy. I'm getting the opposite. So what I'm doing is I'm experimenting. I'm, I've been doing 2 weeks sessions, three-week sessions. I have done five-week sessions where I've tried to give the church members. Usually, I go five nights a week for four weeks. That's the most common." that thing that is done out there today. But I've tried, I've really learned that if you go four nights a week, (coughs) it makes a big difference, that extra night off. So lately, what I've been doing is I've been going three weeks and double sessions on Sabbath. I do a five o'clock one and a different subject at seven o'clock. So I'm getting uh, over three weeks and starting the opening one, that's four weekends, I'm getting most all my topics in but over a three week period of time. And then I spent another week visitating, uh, visitating, visiting, and I'm just basically clearing people for baptism and, and, and so on. So I'm there for four weeks solid, but three weeks of preaching. I'm finding that the churches are more open to having a meeting if they don't feel it's going to be a long four week session. Three weeks, they, they can see the three week a little more handleable uh, than four. So I'm, some I'm doing four, some I'm doing three. And uh, there are those, though, who are doing kind of like lightning sessions where they're doing two weeks. You can't expect people to go from square one to baptism necessarily in two weeks. But you can certainly stir up a lot of interest and get them attending church and then move them through time into another kind of session and and baptize them down the line. And and so that's wonderful, too. So I'm finding that uh, there's there's a trend toward sowing seed and getting people to attend and then getting them into a pastor's class or getting into some other kind of study so that, yes, we can get them uh, involved and down the road baptizing them. So there's, there's that as well because people are so busy. It is hard to get people to come out to an evangelistic series. We used to mail out 40,000 handbills and get about 400 guests. Okay, 400 guests. Now I can mail out 100,000 handbills and get 50 guests. So that tells you where things have been going, and it's, it's, it's hard to get people out. Now, that's, that's depending on the part of the country you're in. If you're in the South, you can get more people to come out initially, but it's still difficult to get them to, to change their thinking. I was just talking to someone yesterday, and they said, yeah, they had a, a meeting and, boy, big, big turnout, but you know, then at the end of the meeting they'll say, great material, but I'm a Baptist. You know, <laughs> That's the way it is when I do the, the Southern meetings. Well, it's absolutely vital. I, with for for me, because of the low return on brochures, that used to be what we did. Right, we sent out brochures, and we still do, but because the brochure return rate is down to one per thousand, send out a thousand brochures, one person will attend your meeting. That's it's gone from about seven and eight per thousand in the in the mid '90s to one per thousand or one and a half per thousand. That's the average across the country. And you know what? It doesn't matter too much what brochure you use. I'd like to see what you use recently, Stephen, because that was a great return you had. But, but generally speaking, uh, the beasts still pull really good on a brochure. I mean, uh, We kind of have a little humorous saying among the evangelists, if the church hates the brochure, the public will love it. <laughs> Because when they, when the church loves it and they say, I want one with Jesus on there and, uh, and just, and, and a brochure all about Jesus, I've done that. You know what return I got? About zero, you know. Yes, yeah, Stephen.
1: Well, we, we actually did an experiment earlier in the year. We sent out uh, half of our brochures with the, the love and the, the people yeah. and everything,
0: and the other half with the beasts. And uh, we had people bring, we had a little coupon on there and they could register for a gift card or whatever. So we have people bring that so we can see which one pulled. And the beast pulled, uh, you know, five to one. Five to one. Absolutely. Because other churches have things about Jesus and about relationships and about those kind of things. And so why come out to a strange Seventh-day Adventist seminar when we can get that where we are. But if they say, wow, I've always wanted to know about prophecy. Prophecy is our ace in the hole, so to speak. It's our trump card. It's what God has given us. So let's use it. And when we use it, even though the church might say, well, I'm tired of, of advertising about the beast. You know what? That might be so, but the public still likes it. The public still wants it. And, and traditionally across the country, if you want to be guaranteed a crowd somewhere, put the, the beast of Daniel 7 on there. And so I always have that somewhere, and it generally will get me some kind of crowd. Yes, sir? Yeah, what's the
1: recidivism, though, with the beast versus the Jesus?
0: Well, I, I don't... You mean in terms of fall-off? Right. Once they come, now it's, now it's not the brochure. It's not a matter of the brochure. Once it comes, it's a matter of the speaker and your training in terms of holding them. When it comes to holding your crowd, I have... Again, I've done it a long time and you get a a crowd of let's just say a hundred guests right the night number two often one-third of that will not return you know get and now you may still have a hundred guests because you have some new people joining but a third or about 30 out of 100 will not come and i used to take it really hard why is a third leaving after night one and I've tried all kinds of different things. You, know, you practically stand on your head to try to get people to just stay. You still get a drop off a third. Now, I have had meetings where I've started with 30 or 35, and I didn't get the third drop off. I, we've built from 35 to 50 or something. The Lord has been really gracious when I start with a low number. But when I start with a high number, usually a third don't come back. And you have to think of it from a reasonable standpoint. They don't know that it's going to be a four-week seminar. And so, when they realize it's not going to be, people are used to a one-night thing. They go out to a movie, they go out to a concert, they go out to a one-night thing. And so they'll, they'll give you that one night. Okay, I'm coming for a night, I want to see what you've got. And then after a night, okay, I liked it. we phoned those people back that have dropped off, and we've done the phone survey. Hey, did opening night meet your expectations? Yes. Do you plan to return for another session? No. Why not? Well, I'm busy. Okay, they gave you that one night. It's not that they didn't like it. In fact, the overwhelming number of them that didn't come back, 95% loved it. They just couldn't come out for four weeks. You have to be understanding about that. Not everyone is able to make it to a four-week seminar. So, uh, I've talked to all kinds of different, you should see it when evangelists get together, you know, the things that we discuss. But uh, usually it's order of subject. What are you using night one? What are you using night two? What brochure are you using? We've tried everything, every mix and match possible, and and you still get about a third drop-off. Now, there are some exceptions to that. There are some seminars where that isn't so, but most of the time that's so. Yes, sir? What topic do you find best to start with? Thank you. What topic do I find best to start with? I've tried... I started off with Daniel 2, because everyone was doing Daniel 2. Isn't that right? But then I... then the church was bored with Daniel 2. I thought I had a great Daniel 2 sermon. But the church said, oh, Daniel 2, here it goes again, you know. So I thought, okay, let's do something different. I did Signs of the Times. And then I would do, I did Signs of the Times a lot, but then after a while I didn't like doing Signs of the Times because no matter how you present Signs of the Times, and you end with the great hope in Jesus, and you end with, with this, you know, Jesus is going to come back and make all these things right, I found that the, the tendency of the night was negative. You know, there's this going on and that going on. And I didn't want to give this negativity to this audience opening night. Now, again, I'm just speaking for myself because I know many evangelists still start with Signs of the Times so i switched and i'm doing one now which i've designed it so that it's it's a it's a night where it's very difficult for our guests to argue with that are coming from other churches and it's talking about the validity of the bible i want to put the bible right out there we believe the bible is the word of god how to study the bible what prophecy is all about how to use you know how god has used prophecy and then i end with showing some examples of how the Old Testament works with the New and the New with the Old, and I bring in the beast of Daniel 7, and I do that purposefully because there they are on the big screen, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and I do some of the symbols. It all flows together, and it's sort of a, it's a little bit of a catch-all in a sense, but it's one that's very difficult to argue with because it's right there. In, you know, and, and if someone was coming from another church, say from the Baptist church, and they were to listen to that, they'd walk out the door that night saying, these people are Christians, they believe the Word of God, they believe in studying it, those kinds of things. I feel safe in coming here. So, and then I hand them out, a handout that's really colorful and, and interesting. So I'm using that approach right now, and I'm finding that it's working as good or better than anything I've done in the past with Daniel 2 or Signs of the Times. Uh, that's what I'm doing right now. When you say someone isn't used to acting well on a social level, are you talking about the guest that's coming is not a sociable person? Uh, no, I mean, like the person no, like the speaker. The speaker is not good at visiting. Yeah. Well, Well, the speaker needs to be good at visiting. <laughs> that was our last class on how to visit. Ellen White makes this comment. She says, she says, If you, she says, the speaking is the pleasant part of the work. She uses the word pleasant. She says, but no one is equipped for the ministry that doesn't know how to visit. So the more you do evangelism, the more you realize that the speaking is the, actually, is the easier part. People look at the evangelist and they say, wow, that's what he does. He gets up and he proclaims the word. But the longer you're in it, you realize it's the smaller part of it. It's the part that you love to do and, you, and it becomes natural. You've done these sermons a number of times. It's not difficult necessarily to, to give the message, although, yeah, there are some nights that are very stressful. But it's what you do when you come back off that platform. Then, then the work really begins again in a bigger way. So you, if you're not good at visiting, you're not going to be good at soul winning. You're just not going to be good. You've got to become, you've got to love people And love to talk to them and love to interact with them if you uh, you've heard me say this if you were in my other classes you can't win people that don't like you and so they're going to look at you and look at those messages and you know some of our topics are tough topics right so how are they going to be how are they going to overcome that well you've got to have a relationship with them how many times have you talked to people and they say I know that my church preaches wrong on this but I love my church I've got my family there, I've got my friends there. And, and they'll say, I'm, I know we're wrong here and here and here and here and here. And they'll name five or six things that they know they are wrong on. And they'll still say, but I'm not leaving. Why? Because they've got strong ties there, emotional ties there. So the only way you can overcome that is to develop the relationship with them, and that's through visitation. So if, you, if you're not a sociable person, you're not going to be a good evangelist. Good question. Good point, though. Yes? Yes? On the mailings, do I advertise Seventh Adventist Church? I'll say Adventist Church Auditorium. Now that way I I put Adventist out there. Even in a public venue? Yes. Oh, in a public venue? No. No, no. I won't. Uh, if it's in if it's in the church, I'll say Adventist Church Auditorium. If it's at the Civic Center downtown, no. No. I'll say Discover Prophecy Seminar uh, brought by Revelation Speaks Hope Ministries or whatever and so on. And But if they ask me, the best policy is always straightforward honesty. Be honest, because they know often that you're Adventist. I have my website, and they can go and they can see things there. It doesn't say Adventist on there, but if they ask me, I'll always be straight-out honest. Yes, I'm a 7th Adventist. I'll use the word, I'm an Adventist Christian, until I get to... And they say, you mean a 7th Adventist? Yes. If they ask me straight-out, yes. But in the seminar, if they say, are are you... uh, You know, what church do you go to? I'll say, uh, I'm an Adventist Christian. And the reason is because if I say early on I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, they'll think I'm Mormon or Jehovah's Witness. That's the only reason I do. After I've preached the Sabbath and they understand what it means Seventh-day Adventist, then, I've, then I'll say Seventh-day Adventist. So often they know you're Seventh-day Adventist and they test you to see if you're honest with them. So be positive and have a smile on your face and confidently say, yes, I I'm, uh, enjoy worshiping at the Adventist church, whatever. So does that answer your question? But I'll say, if I'm at the church, I'll say Adventist Church Auditorium. If I'm not, I'll, I'll just give the Civic Center. You know, don't be ashamed of that, because Ellen White says in the book of Evangelism, you can use the surprise approach. Many, many people have told me, in the baptistry, when I'm baptizing, and they'll say, if I had known it was an Adventist meeting, I would not have come. Right? So that helps us draw the crowd. And then, uh, again, if... Uh, oh, I forgot my next point. It'll hook on me. Sorry. Anyone have someone else? else a hand? Yes, sir. My website is brianmcmahon.com, okay? It'll be, there'll be other sites that tie into that, like Revelation Speaks Hope, but I haven't made the tie yet, but McMahon.com is the one I'm using right now.
1: Joe Cruz used to react to that. He said when he was knocking on the door, if somebody asked him when they opened the door if he, what the nomination was, he said, he says, I hate to be bragging, but I'm so glad."
0: I, I remember that, I remember that. Yeah, I'm not so bold, but as he was. <laughs> I hate but, to brag, but I'm a 7th Adventist, just correct. A I'm no, it was the same. same as his. I also
1: have another question. Yes, go right ahead. Uh, what is your most, as an evangelist, and you may have already answered this, about holding a crowd or yes, said, what is your most significant challenge as an
0: evangelist? Okay, great question. What is my most significant challenge in holding a crowd? I think it is the time factor people are so busy it is not so much that they don't like what we're presenting that we don't that they don't bond with us but they are so big. they're working overtime swing shifts and they're working weekends and they're doing the and they're just extremely busy people and so to, to get them to come consistently because what i'm finding is if they come all, if i've got my visitation sheets and i can see how often people have come i'll give you an example of my last meeting i did in Hagerstown Maryland which we just completed in November when the ones that came all the way through you know they might have missed one or two nights they were baptized and they joined the church the ones that came three-quarters way through they said we're not quite ready to join but we want to attend your church fine great happy because we got really hit hard with the swine flu we had a great meeting going and the, the flu hit us and it hit the kids room and of course if the kids are sick the parents stay home with the kids and it hit our and so we really got devastated with the flu but anyway when. When the ones that came three-quarters the way, they're attending, the ones that came, you know, a third and so on, we basically didn't have much of a follow-up with them and they, they fell off. So the attendance is the key factor. Are they going to attend? If they attend, the, the message is there, the conviction is there. Yes, I, I need to follow this, it's true. So it's to, it's to get them there, but they're so busy. That's the number one challenge I have today. We are very, very, we have a very, very busy society. Okay, I used to start at 7.30 in the larger cities because I wanted to give people time to get home, you know, fighting the beltway traffic and all of that. Now, because of the busy schedule, I'm starting at 7 o'clock. I like to get off at, quote, like 8.30-ish because it sounds a lot better than getting toward 9 o'clock when it's, you know, hey, i got to get home, the kids got to get to sleep. So I like to get done no later than 8.30. Even 8.20 is better. So while 7 o'clock comes, I'm, I'm just a for starting on time. 7 o'clock comes, you got to train your audience. 7 o'clock comes, I'm walking out there. Sometimes the, the pastor will say, no, no, let's give it five minutes. I say, no, 7 o'clock. If I start 5 after 7, then I'm going to be starting 10 after 7 and so on. That's no good. So my meetings are time. When you got PowerPoint or Keynote, those slides are fixed. right? And you got to get through that. And so it's, it's time to get out. So I'll start on seven o'clock, 7 o'clock. I give a short welcome. The pastor does that hello so good to see you here thanks for coming hey let's have an opening prayer we have a short prayer then I have some question and answers not opening night but other nights uh, because the question and answers gives your audience an opportunity to vent if they've got a frustration if they've got a theological question that they think they're gonna stump you with or a comment they can express that, and through the question box, they can express it, and they don't stand up halfway through your meeting and saying, hey, hey, what about this, right? So you tell them, no, I've got a question comment box, so we use that, I don't like to drop that. But I keep it short, five minutes, maybe maybe seven minutes. And then, special music into the message. So your message
1: is usually
0: hour? Hour, hour. The one exception to that, no, no, excuse me, two exceptions to that is the mark of the beast night, and the 2300 Day Prophecy Night, I'll go a little longer on that one. But my, the way I handle that is I tell the audience, folks, we've got a big, big message coming up tomorrow night. I'm gonna need a little bit extra of your time. If you've got a babysitter, tell them we're gonna be getting out at, at 8.40 rather than 8.30. You know, they respect that. Uh, I, you know, they, they appreciate that if I respect their time and tell them that they're, we're gonna be going longer. So they come anticipating that. Does that help you at all? So I'm finding really, even after all these years, I'm trimming time off of my messages. I'm trimming time. Don't, don't fall into the trap of going too long. Don't fall in love with your own voice that you think, boy, I'm just, I've got such a marvelous presentation, such a marvelous voice, I'm going to hold people. They don't have a lot of time. You've got to say what you're going to say and sit down. Yes, brother?
1: Um, what advice would you give to
0: wow (laughs) what a question Uh, how much time do you have brother (laughs) what did you hear the question the question what advice would you give to a young evangelist going out into the field my last three hour-long presentations is the best material that I can give you. I had an hour on preaching, an hour on visitation, and an hour on secrets of successful evangelists. This is twenty years worth of material that I've tried to condense down into these three hours, three presentations. That's what I would give you in a nutshell. When I started what they did back then was they just said, hey, here's, a, here's an evangelist, go travel with him, and then here's another one, and go travel with him, and here's another one, go travel with him, and do three meetings, uh, basically take the best, throw out the rest, use what you can, use his good points, don't use their bad points, and the problem was they didn't train me. They did not train me, they just said, I need something photocopied, go do this, I need something delivered here, go do that, and they just used me for running around. Well, that was good to teach humility, but, and there's a point to do that. If you want If you want to be, an evangelist, you got to learn humility. But in terms of actual training, I had zero. So I have, I have gleaned these things through seminars and other materials and my own personal experience and tried to condense it down. I have more than what I can present here. But, but in terms of actually telling you, I would say, keep improving. Never, never stop. Never stand pat and say, "Well, I've got my program now." and And uh, learn everything you can from other people, and constantly seek to be more professional, uh, to develop your personality and your speaking and your visiting to the highest level possible. Hone it to a razor's edge. Don't stand pat and say, "Well, I can get by with this." Always be seeking to improve and go go to a higher level. That, in a nutshell. Now, if you want, again material to do that, by all means I'll share with you what I've got.
1: <laughs> you okay,
0: great. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. How do you know that your calling? Oh, how do I know that that was my calling? Great question. Because I lost the love for what I had. I, I wanted to be a real estate agent. I thought I would live and die selling real estate. I started when I was 20 years old and at that time people retired into real estate you know they got to be 65 They'd had the career okay I'm done now hey what, what am I gonna do in my off time well I'll sell real estate that's the way it was at that time back in the late 70s uh, early 80s well I broke the mold in my division in my area because at 20 years old I said I'm gonna be a real estate agent I want to buy and sell real estate I want to get in on on this and so then other people started coming in and I loved it I thought I'm gonna be doing this till I till I die till I retire but when I found the Adventist message the love for that just vanished and I felt all—I had a compulsion that I just wanted to share the message, share the message. And people started to come to me. Often we recognize gifts in each other before we even see it in ourselves. And they came to me uh, and they said, you know, I think your calling is ministry. Because I have a love for people anyway. And you know, the Lord, I think the Lord set it up because before real estate, I was in the retail business. And you have to be, I'm a very shy person. Can you tell? I'm a very shy person. I don't like to be up front. I don't, to be up front in front of people, I'm okay right now because I've done this a number of times, but it's not my nature. I'm a kind of a phlegmatic guy. You know, I'm, I'm low key and I just, I, I like to be the fly on the wall and just listen to other people. But, but, I, but I can't because I feel God has called me to do this. So I'm, I'm okay right now. But if, if someone then invites me up to the front and wants to give me a gift or say something about me, I'm just like, oh, get me down. You know, I'm just so uncomfortable with that. So but, so I felt called because I had to come out of my comfort zone, and it was a love to do it that I didn't formally have. I just wanted to share, I wanted to study, I, wanted to, I, I went to college to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. But when I saw Joe Cruz hold now some of you are pretty young uh, Do you know who Joe Cruz was? Right here, we have Joe Cruz's co- okay. second cousin, OK. Mother. I didn't learn that until you told me yesterday. That's neat. Joe Cruz was... Uh, he, he was... Uh, what's the word I want to use? He was a pillar in our denomination. There's there's certain men that come along every so often, and ladies, every so often, that stand out for, for the kind of individual they are. Joe Cruz was one of those people. He, he was not the founder of Amazing Facts. He was the first director-speaker of Amazing Facts. Uh, and uh, I don't want to You know, divert the conversation too much. But the reason I mentioned that is because uh, Joe uh, was. Where were we? Where were we? Oh yeah, I went to one of his. Thank you, thank you. I went to one of his. uh, My my wife, my now wife, uh, who is in, we're in college together. She says Joe's going to be speaking over nearby. Do you want to go? And I said, yeah, I want to go, and I want to hear Joe Cruz this uh this great evangelist so i went and listened to him and when i saw joe preach i just felt the holy spirit saying this is what you need to do this is what you need to do and i felt myself i saw myself doing it so i felt this is this is the lord leading me and then of course you know what you are called to do god will equip you for god god gives you those gifts if that's what you are and i and it seems that the lord has given me success in it so I've never, in 20 years, I've never said, I don't feel that this was right. I, I, I think, I've never felt I've missed my calling or this wasn't my calling. I've always felt this is what I was called to do. If you, oh, by the way, little follow-up on that. If you're thinking of getting into ministry, don't do it unless you feel called to do it. Don't do it unless you feel called to do it. Don't think, well, I don't know what else to do with my life. I, you know, I, I don't have a job. and Well, maybe I'll go to Andrews and, and go into ministry. No. If you, you'll be miserable, okay? And you'll probably fall out uh, and waste four years of college, yes. Okay. Because people like entertainment right we want genius. So yes. Did you hear the question about humor, the use of humor? I covered this, uh, and so some of you have already heard me say this. If you're going to use humor, several points. One, use it sparingly and use it very judiciously, meaning Uh, I use sanctified humor if I may use that term intelligent humor humor that is to use a point don't tell a long story for the jokes sake it's not a ha 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 type humor it's if you're going to tell a joke because you want to tell a joke it's gonna fall flat and will depower your ministry if you're going to make a point you can make a point but it's such an intelligent point that the humor is in seeing the the ridiculousness of either believing that or believing something other than that in other words, it's, it's, you're showing the, lo- it's a logical type of humor. Let me, let me give you a quick illustration of what I'm talking about. Um, <clears throat> on my night of the Ten Commandments, I, you, I'm dealing with the issue of someone saying, all the commandments are burdensome, they're legalistic, they're awful. We, God had to nail them to the cross, right? This is the, the objections we work with as evangelists. The God had to nail them to the cross, right? And, uh, and, but in the New Testament, these churches say, these pastors say, we, have, we bring back in nine. Right? Oh yes, because if you ask him, well, can we murder now? Oh no, 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 the New Testament says we can And can we steal and commit? A dog? Oh no, no. So basically we bring back in nine of them in the New Testament, but we, God had to nail the ten to the cross because they were burdensome, they legalistic, we were under the law, all these things. So I say, now folks, let's look at this logically. If you went to the doctor, <coughs> if you went to the doctor and you had a damaged finger, Let's say the fourth finger was damaged because, and it represents the fourth commandment. And the doctor looked at your finger and said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to have to amputate that finger. It's got to go. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut off all ten of your fingers. And then I'm going to sew back on the nine good ones. But I'll leave the damaged one off. How long would you remain in that doctor's office? Well, you'd run quick, wouldn't you? And, but isn't that what people are doing with the commandments? You know, they're saying, all ten are bad. We've got to cut them all off. Oh, but we've got to sew back on nine. We're going to keep nine, but we'll leave the bad one off. I said, it's the same thing. Isn't it the same thing, what they're saying? See, they get it. It's not like I'm telling a joke. But they see the humor in the illustration, and they say, oh, yeah, n- n- nobody would want to do that. right?" Those are the kind of things. Now, I, I use other type of humor. Humor is-, is sometimes good when you're trying to deflate the tension. There's, there's- when you get into the Sabbath and the state of the dead and the mark of the beast, Uh, I'm not sure if I use any humor on the Night of the Mark of the Beast, but on the Antichrist, sometimes just a little bit of humor uh, kind of of allows them to sit back and take a breath, and then we go on. It allows them to see that you're very real. So God gave us humor, and you use it. But use it carefully. Use it wisely. Don't use it too much. And use it to make your point. Don't just tell a joke for joke's sake, because that is going to depower your your ministry. Uh, Jeffrey, do you have some you're going gonna... to all right <laughs> he's got two pages of stuff he wants to ask me yes brother yeah,
1: what's the balance between uh, selling literature and giving away to to uh,
0: attendees of interest selling versus giving it away well i take the position that i mean if if i met you on the street and I and I knew that I wanted to give you something I mean and I gave you a piece of literature or steps to Christ man I would feel thrilled I was able to give that away to her you know now we've got people coming to our seminars and they basically got open hands saying give me give me anything you've got I say let's give it out to them so I'm probably over the last 20 years I've probably given out more stuff and I have no way of recording this but I have probably given more than any other speaker I mean I've got tons of stuff going out the door almost too much stuff. So I've cut back because I didn't want it wasted. But I'm giving out stuff at the door like crazy because they're they're saying I want your literature. So I'm giving it out. Now there's in terms of sales there's stuff that's very expensive. Like I've got you know my DVDs that I sell at my and I've got CDs that I sell. I will use my best judgment. When people have the the money I say you know here it is for purchase when they're poor and they can't afford it i say here you take it you know so I, I try to have a balance there in terms of literature we don't sell literature at the meetings we give it to them it's part of the budget we write it into the budget the church has paid for it and now we're giving it out as a service so that
1: for videos and things like that you know you
0: sell your videos after the meetings yes see these after the meeting. yeah now the 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 dvds i i mean people don't realize people don't realize how expensive it is to film a meeting cut your dvds edit it produce it you know have nice attractive packaging duplicate it buy it all it's it's tens of thousands of dollars okay it's a, and and it's it's my out of my pocket personally and so there's a reason we sell it is to recoup that money so you can go do it again because when you film your meeting it's only good for 4 or 5 years I mean, you, you look different. You, you, your sermons have changed. You want to refilm it, right? So you're recouping that money, so you can go out and do it again. So there's reasons that we bring in some money to 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 offset the cost of developing it. People have no idea how expensive it is to film a meeting, unless 3ABN is doing it free for you or something. But so, but with the literature, I don't sell literature. I hand it out. But And so I try to balance. Sometimes when people are poor, I'll give them a DVD. When they've missed baptism or Mark of the Beast or some big subject, I'll give them a DVD. But, but, you know, that's that's just part of ministry. Have you gone over the budget? Not really.
1: How, how much you know, your meetings would cost and how much okay.
0: should cost? Budget, how much a meeting costs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. How should we start
1: off with, with, if we're just getting into
0: evangelism, Yeah. What okay my meetings will run anywhere from 45,000 to 145,000 when in other words when I'm doing a one church meeting it'll probably be around 45,000 if it's a big church and they want to really advertise it could be 60,000 65,000 when when it's a multi-church meeting and they got all kinds of other churches joining in it could easily be a lot more than that but the the fact is, it's, it's not so much me, it's what the conference and the churches want to do. What do you want to accomplish? Okay, here's what it's going to take to accomplish that. So we do, I work together with the local church pastor, with the conference, and between the three entities we come up with a budget that will service what we want to do. So it's not just my decision. Uh, and uh, there are some fixed costs like your travel and your your re- your stay there your housing there and your the salary part it's, there's some fixed costs but there's there's things that are flexible like your but your advertising how many brochures you're going to send out how much radio you're going to do how much television you're going to do how much newspaper how much literature you're going to hand out all of those things are flexible depending on how much the church and the conference want to put into it so mm-hmm. does that help some of you will never work with a budget perhaps but that's how that's in a nutshell that's how it goes Okay, great, great. And like what if you're not used
1: to like, talking to people you don't know very well
0: and just kind of shy about going door to door, like what do you <clears tell throat> them? I wish you were in my last class, we talked on visitation <laughs> for an hour. Okay, you, if you're going door to door, you're probably not going to go into the home as much. You're going to be at the door, and, and what are you going to tell them at the door? They haven't told you yet. Supposed to tell me that. Okay, okay, I got it. Okay, let me give you a few pointers as fast as I can on just a few things. One, uh, your appearance, right? You wanna, you wanna dress properly. You don't wanna look sloppy in any way, right? Because it's what you're representing, right? Two, you wanna have a, a nice smile on your face because a smile will bring a smile back to you. So, so be sure you have a smile on your face when you go to the door. When you go, um, now I, again, I don't wanna work against something they're gonna tell you, you see. Because my approach at the door is, is usually visitation for the evangelistic purposes, and they may have a different way of approaching because of what they want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So chances are they're going to you're going to drop off something or ask them for studies. I'm not sure if, if they if you could tell me what it is you're accomplishing, it would help me give an answer to that. Basically,
1: basically, what they basically what they're wanting their main purpose is because since we're having the Expo on Sunday, they want to invite the community out to the Health Expo. So we're actually going with some of the flyers stating on that. And also, um, I think they're going to give us a small portion asking what other things the
0: community want, you know, like Bible
1: studies, cooking class, and so forth. Well,
0: one one of the things that will really help is you don't want to get a no answer, right? You want to get a yes answer. So one of the things you want to keep in mind is whatever they say, go with it. They say, oh, I don't have much time. Um, oh, that's great, because this isn't going to take much time at all. You know? mm-hmm. or, or, oh, I don't, I don't like uh, you know, uh, religious stuff. Oh, well, that's okay, because we're, then we're going to be talking about health. You know? So whatever they give you, just go with it. Mm-hmm. Go with it, as if, well, that's all right, because here's what I've got. Mm-hmm. Right? So, in other words, you're there, and, and what you've got is exactly what they want. And that's,
1: yes. <laughs>
0: uh, um, are we, is it necessary to yes, you. Yeah, you will. They will. Give, they will tell you what they want you to say at the door. And and again, I don't want to work. But but when I'm at the door, I often say, uh, "This will only take a few minutes." Because we're in a very very busy society. So you want to know. They want to know. Is this going to take a lot of my time? I. I you know. How long am I going to stand here at the door? Say, you know, s- smile. Introduce yourself. This is just going to take a moment of your time. That's the, you want to get that out there because otherwise, you know, I'm sorry I don't have time for you kind of thing. Did you hear that last point? you want to, you want to tell them, no, this is just going to take a, a moment and, whatever, and then you're going to quickly go through it so that they know they're not going to be standing there a long time having to deal with it because they've got something going on. Yeah. Well I'm going to be very candid with you. That's not my expertise. Okay, because my expertise is going at it from a little different thing. I'm not I'm I've not done a lot of call portering or or that door to door you know, dropping of that kind of thing. They're gonna be more expert in that than I am. And so I don't wanna say anything that would cross with what they're gonna tell you. Yeah, but I think, I think the friendliness to tell them you're there just for a moment, you've got something that will bless them, and whatever they give you in return, go with it and say, that's all right, because this is just for you, and, and, and it'll, it'll go smooth. Uh, the, the main thing is to, to just be friendly and to pray ahead of time that God will work on their hearts before you get there, mm-hmm. and that God will lead you. Don't be, here's something, here's something I've learned in sales. Don't be uh, in any way put off by a no, or the, even if they slam the door. You know why? Because I learned in sales, they said it takes 99 no's before you get a yes. If you call 99, uh, if you call 100 people on the phone and say, Do you want to list your house for sale? 99 will say no, and one will say yes, and you'll be so happy with the yes, you'll forget about the 99 because you'll say, I got one, right? If you knock on 100 doors and say, Do you want to list your house for sale? 99 will say no, one will say yes and you'll be so happy with the with the one. So you that's the law of, of door knocking when it comes to selling a house. Now, and that it goes for a lot of different things. Jehovah's Witnesses Jehovah's Witnesses, why is it that in some cities they are absolutely outgrowing us 10 to 1 with a, with an unpopular message, right? Because they will tell you knock on 100 doors, we're going to get one. Knock on 100 doors, we're gonna get one. Knock on and then after we go through the whole city, we're gonna go through it again. And we're gonna knock on another 100 doors, and we're gonna get one, and we're gonna knock. And so they know that. And they just keep going and going and going, and they keep growing, because they're not afraid to go out and knock on doors. So what you have to know is that when you knock on that door, even if they say no, it is part of a soul winning process that they may say no to you, and someone may knock on the door a month later and they say no, and then someone might give them a piece of literature later and they say no, and then someone might invite them to church and they say yes. You know what? You had a part in that soul. Uh They said no to you, but it was part of of the process of, of a final yes. So don't think that, well, I got a no and it wasn't valuable or it wasn't for a purpose. Every door you knock on is for a purpose. That'll help you. And I'll also tell you this, if you have any anxiety, do you have any anxiety about door knocking? A little bit, yeah, that's natural. I'm gonna tell you something, the hardest part is to get from the car to the first house. Mm -hmm. After that, you're gonna get into a groove and you're gonna say, hey, let's get on to the next one. Then you are knocking, hey, let's get on to the next one. And pretty soon, it don't matter, it don't matter. You're just like, I can't wait to get to the next one. It's, uh, the hardest part is the first door, the first door. And then you'll just, after that, you'll get fearless. So don't don't mm-hmm. misunderstand if you have a no. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry, this just uh, went dead on me. Oh, probably it was the battery. I think I think I, I yeah the microphone. I think it's because they haven't changed the battery in a long time. Okay. Check check check. Great. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Any who hasn't had her hand. Oh, uh, Jeffrey. Maybe I know that you had some that you've wanted to ask. Why don't you go ahead and uh, do some of yours too. Well, What's your biggest regret or biggest blunder so far in, in. <laughs> Okay, all right, my biggest regret or blunder, my biggest regret has been that when I was young, young, I did not pour more of myself into study. Okay. in other words I did study and I did read but when you get married and you have children your time is greatly reduced for that greatly reduced I love being married and I love having children but you know what in terms of your free time you will never have as much time as you have right now at your young age use it and just pour yourself as you can into study and and filling up your mind with knowledge, so that the Lord can use that. That's my biggest regret: is that I didn't use my earlier years, in a greater way, to accumulate more information, more knowledge that I can that the Lord can use now. Okay, uh, my greatest blunder, I think, was overworking my wife. Uh, she would be working she'd come out every night to the meetings, she'd have one child and a backpack and one child and a front pack and she'd be doing registration and you know and I would be up preaching and doing everything I'm going to do but uh, over years uh, it, it was just too much and if I could go back I would say to her you know two days a week two nights a week whatever stay home I would I would have taken I would as a man a married man I would have been, it's not that I drove her or not that I said you must do this, but she felt that she had to do it, maybe obligated. And now I say to her, as you wish or as you want to or as you feel the physical strength, you do what you need to do or want to do. So I would say to all the men that are here uh, do not over burden your wife cuz she has other responsibilities right she's got the home and the kids and other things and so be very very careful as to the amount of work you give in addition to all of the other responsibilities she has i think that was a great blessing now we've you know we've we're, we're she still loves ministry and she still comes out to the meeting but but i just wish that i had been more careful in in that in earlier years
1: um in, in terms of
0: noticed that a lot of check 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 i don't know if this is a. don't think it's turned up i think this is a little bit yeah i think we'll go with this a lot
1: of a lot of a lot of evangelists and a lot of pastors um at least i've noticed that a lot of them wind up neglecting their home life so yes so how over the years have you um brought a balance
0: Okay, the question is, a lot of pastors or evangelists neglect their home life, so how do you bring a balance to that? I bring a balance to it by uh, having a day off every week for the family. I didn't do that for years. That was, another, that was going along with the blunder, is that we went seven days a week for years, and because you know you're young and you got that extra energy and you want to you want to do well in ministry and get established but I didn't realize the toll that that takes Mm -hmm. and so now we have a day off no matter what I tell even the Bible workers I say take a day off you know take Mondays off whatever but but take a day off and uh, I really try to to spend time with the children and with with my wife and and so that they feel they're important too. you never want your family to feel less important Right. You want them to feel that they're first, and then there's ministry. Oh, let me say it this way, as goes your family, so goes your ministry. Mm-hmm. Right? If your family's strong, your ministry will be strong. If you've got, a, if you've got problems at home, you're going to have problems in the ministry. So uh, the, you've got to have the strong home life to power your ministry. So put that first and don't think that somehow you can shove it to the side and it's not going to take its toll. Great, great question. How do you discern who should be baptized and who shouldn't be? In spite of your best efforts, the people will, are, there's some that are going to fall away. The parable of the seed sowing: some is going to fall on rocky ground, some by the, you know, by the wayside. They're, in spite of everything you do, some are going to fall away, and so the goal is to minimize that. Now, you have to use your best judgment. Sometimes, maybe it is the evangelist's fault. The first uh, obligation of the evangelist is to make sure that they have the knowledge that they need to become Seventh-day Adventists, not to baptize people prematurely, not to baptize them when they're smoking and drinking and maybe not even understanding what it means to be a 7th Adventist. We've all heard those horror stories of people being baptized and then they don't even realize that they're joining a 7th Adventist church. Well, that's not the case in my meetings. They know that this is the 7th Adventist faith and it's my responsibility to know that they, that they have the basic knowledge. Now, they may not understand the 2300 days the, where they can go out and give an immediate study, but I've covered it. They've basically got an understanding of how the dates work and that the judgment started in 1844. So, they've got that, but over and above that, even with all your best intentions, there are sometimes as a pastor and sometimes as an evangelist you have to use your best judgment what i want to know is are they converted are they converted do they because to baptize people and bring them in when they're really when they're not converted that's just you know the devil tries to do that you know that the devil works on bringing unconverted people into the faith because he knows what problems that'll that'll mm-hmm. take place as a result of that so when they're, when they're struggling, I want to know. So this is what I'll ask. I'll ask in my, I visit with every person, to answer your question more directly, in the, in the week afterward, I visit with every single person that's going to be baptized individually. I have a baptismal class, but individually I'm meeting with them, and I'm talking with them, and I'm asking them the questions, I'm seeing where they're at in terms of their knowledge, their conviction, their desire, and then I have to use my best God-given judgment as an as evangelist. Are they ready? And that will come more with time, with time. Um,
1: How do you deal with interrupters in your meetings?
0: How do I deal with interrupters when people want to stand up and challenge me? Okay, I have been so blessed in that in 20 years I've not had a lot of that. I've had some of it. I just had it in a recent meeting in Hawaii where a guy started shouting at me, you know, right? I was dealing with a state of the dead, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he was about halfway back, he started yelling at me. I thought, what? I'm preaching, and I'm hearing this noise, and I'm thinking, what in the world is that, you know? I'm turning around, and this guy, uh, I won't describe how he looked, but let me just tell you, he looked kind of mean, right? I mean, he had a totally shaven head, and a and, uh, lot of uh, tattoos, and a uh, big guy, big guy. And he was there, and he was, he was yelling, and I thought, what? What did I say? You know, sometimes I'm wondering, what did I say? Well, as it turned out, he was, he, he thought I said something, or he thought I meant something that I was, didn't, it was really his fault that he didn't, uh, yeah, me, let's just say mentally, he wasn't really up to speed with what I was saying, and so it was a different issue. So, going back to the question, what do you do? When I start my meetings, I say to the audience, I say, dear friends, I cannot stop and take questions and comments from the floor during these meetings. We don't have the time to do it. We don't have the audience miked. So we have our question comment box as a way to express any questions you have. You can talk to me afterward. I give them an outlet. It's important that you give the people an outlet to express themselves. So they, they might not be happy, but they say, well, I can write a question. Sometimes they're a fiery question, right? or comment and put it in there and that's my way of telling him I don't like what he said." Well, at least they have a way of expressing that, but if you don't tell them that, then they're going to go like this. Now if they're in the audience and they go like this, I have to make a decision as a speaker, is it more distracting to stop the presentation and address them or is it more distracting to leave it when they're continuing to go like this and everybody knows that they're going like this. So I have to make that judgment call, but what I'll do is I'll address them once and I will say, "Sir." It's always a man. I'll say, I'll say, sir, I cannot take your question right now. Please hold that question. I'll be happy to talk with you afterward. And then I'll I'll move on. Uh, He's heard me say, I will talk to you afterward. Now, if he continues to go like this, which is very, very rare, then I'll say, sir, I, I appreciate you have a question to ask. Always be kind. Always be courteous. The audience, you will win your audience through courtesy. Uh, I appreciate you have a question, I cannot stop right now, we want to try to make sure we finish on time, but I can assure you I will get your question answered afterward. Please see me then. Thank you so much. And on we go. Now, this has not happened to me, but in other cases, if they continue or if they shout out something or they're disruptive, we have to have security escort them out. Now what security is depends on where you are. When I go into a conference center, they usually have security, He's he's one of my best friends right away. Right? I want to know, and I'll tell them, hey, if something happens, how do you handle it in this hall? Oh, here's what we do. Here's our practice. Because I'll say, this is a public meeting. We might have someone come in here inebriated. We might have someone here who's disruptive. How, how best can we work together to have this person out? Because we don't want to come over and grab them, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to do that, but you have a way of, of escorting them out. And you know what? When that happens, the audience is on your side. If you've done your work as a speaker, the audience is on your side and I'll find that after a person disrupts me like that one did in Hawaii, after that I get three times the amens. I get three times as loud amens because now they're saying, hey, we're still with you. right?" That guy didn't like it, but we're still with you. So I, th- to answer the question, I do it by preparing the audience, telling them I cannot take a long time and then, uh, and then over and above that, dealing with it one-on-one with the individual. Yes, sir. Um, I was wondering,
1: uh, if we're like laymen, right, and we are really wanting to get into uh, evangelism, is it possible uh, to actually have a church
0: or conference allowed for a layman evangelistic series? Oh, absolutely, all the time. Yeah. Ha- oh, all the time that happens. There are hundreds and hundreds of laymen uh, evangelistic series going on all the time. What you want to do is this. There's, there's my best advice to you. You start preparing yourself and God will put you in a place. No question. I've never seen it where someone didn't develop 24 sermons or whatever it happens to be. You get those ready, you start preaching them through, you get your slides together if you want to use Keynote or PowerPoint, which you probably will, and you get that ready and, and you've, you know, you've got it so that you've, you've, you know, those messages, right? And then you watch the doors open up. Just, just say to your local pastor, do you mind if I just hold something locally here? We won't need to spend a lot of money. Well, we'll spend uh, $500, $1,000 printing off some flyers and handing them out. We'll give them to members. And do you mind if I do that here? Oh, the pastor will probably say yes. Or the neighboring pastor in the next community will say yes. And then just your experience in standing up in front of an audience like this and preaching it out will drill those sermons in your head. And, next, and so you've got that experience. You held a meeting, even if you just did it for you know, 20 people, right? 20 people. It, it's okay. You know it's harder to preach in front of 20 than it is 2,000? You know, it's a lot harder to preach before 20 people. So, you do you do that and you watch how the doors will open up and then pretty soon it's the it, because you know, you're know you low budget and it's not a lot of money, you'll get another opportunity, you know, next pastor over will hear about it. Oh yeah, will you come please do one over here? And next thing no, you know, you'll you have two or three under your belt and you'll be a little bit more budget, a little bit more. You watch how it open up. You've got to get yourself ready and your sermons ready and the doors will open, okay? They'll open. Hey, Can you how to speak in front of oh, okay. The reason it's harder to speak in front of 20 is because it's, it's so intense, right? I mean, I've got you here, and so I can direct, I can look at you for a bit, and then you, and, you, and after I've looked a little bit, then it's back to you. <laughs> you know? and, uh, but in 2000, it's a sea of faces, so it's less personal. And you're speaking, and, and it's, it's just this, this, this math, and the lights are on, and so usually I can't see past the first 15, 20 rows anyway, because the <laughs> lights are shining in my face. And so you're out there, and it's much easier because of the response and the, the the dynamics really change when when there's a large group because you can you can look all over. But but it's like being in a living room when you've got just a few, and so you're looking. It's more intensely personal. And then when you're asking for decisions, it's more personal too, right? Because it's it's you, it's you, it's you, and it's it's a lot more uh, intense when it's just those few. So because of the intensity it's often more intimidating to the speaker by the way uh, i'll repeat something i said earlier if you're if you have any anxiety at all about going to door knocking or being up front do you know that public speaking is still the number one fear of americans number one heights i guess is up there too but number one is public speaking how do you get over that well one way is Anxiety will decrease as preparation increases. Prepare, prepare, prepare. Get in front of of the church and preach to the empty seats. First go out and preach to the cows. Brother who asked the the question about uh, getting ready, go out, get your sermons together, and go out and preach in a park to the trees and the squirrels, and hear yourself speak, and then go out in front of the church and have the empty seats there and preach to the empty seats and work through your PowerPoint presentation. Uh, for you who are going door knocking, uh, go, go over your canvas again and again and again, give it to her and she to you, and then uh, have her give you a couple objections and, and, and so you've, you've heard those before, practice, practice, practice. So pretty soon it's, oh, I know what to say. I don't have to worry about the words. It's just simply your demeanor after that. Wow, time goes on fast. Okay, we're, we're out of time, but I'm going to take a two, couple, couple real quick ones here. Copyright issues, uh, you need to you need to research that some. Yes, there are some pictures that uh, you should not use. Uh, I use, hmm, okay, I don't have it right here. The, the picture of Jesus with the invitation, Nathan Green, you know his hands out, the, the one that's on it is written all the time. Now that's a copyright picture. And I have that, but I bought the copyright CD. So they didn't give me permission to use that. And so you want to be sure to, if there's certain pictures, yes, that you acknowledge that. Most of the ones you can get uh, off the internet are probably free to use. It depends on your usage, it depends on your usage. If you're making money off of it, it's a different thing than just showing it in a meeting. Okay. Wow, you've been a great, great class. I appreciate your question. One more and then we're gonna have to wrap it up. If you're doing your first seminar, or your first few seminars, it seems to me that you know, there are some fillers. Can you do it with it just be like 20? Because when you look at all the topics, it seems to be only really 20 that really need to be proclaimed. And some yes. Yes. Okay. Yes and no. You. <laughs> yes and no. You're you're accurate in that you say 20. But the reason you have fillers is not just because you want to have 24 nights. If you're going to give them the state of the dead, and the next time you're going to, next night you're going to give them the rapture, and the next night you're going to give them the Sabbath, it's like hitting bang, 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 and it's like, you it's like boxing and you're getting blow after blow after blow to your audience, you need a few fillers to help them to say, oh, okay, well at least I didn't have to have a lifestyle change on that night. You know, it's a, it's a way for them to come and enjoy knowledge without necessarily getting hit again. You don't understand what I'm saying? If you're, you'll watch evangelism, evangelists, they'll give, they'll give a couple heavy nights and then, a, and then a night off. A night off, in the, it's not a heavy topic. And then a couple heavy ones, and then another one that's not so heavy. The, it's designed that way so that people don't continue, they're going to think, man, if I'm going to come these I'm getting hit so hard, so fast, I just can't take it. So, for example, the night on baptism, most people understand baptisms by immersion, right? And so it's not a big night. Right? And then the next one, they might be health, clean and unclean. That can be a heavy-duty one. So usually follow a light one with a heavier one, a heavier one with a lighter one. I do the seven plagues. <laughs> and I do the seven plagues because I love that night and, and what I do is I use it as an appeal. See, you have to have an appeal. You can't just give them doctrine without appealing. And so my plague, my plague night is one that is a strong appeal night to follow truth and, and I'm appealing all the way through. So, there, there's, there's more purpose behind it than what you might initially see. Well, uh, we want to we dismiss you, but thank you for your great questions. You've been a really wonderful group. I hope you've gotten something out of this. If you have other questions that you want to come up and ask me afterward or email me, feel free to do it any I'm happy to, to uh, continue to correspond with you. Thank you. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org